I'm going to introduce a, a power-packed, mighty man of God. He's coming to bring the word this morning. Would you welcome our own Pastor Michael Gamble? Thank you. He has a special announcement this morning. Good morning, church. It's so good to be with you in the house of the Lord. I brought a very special guest with me today. This is... I feel like doing the Lion King thing in light of the new live action, you know. This is Levi Michael Dana Gamble, and uh, we're just so blessed by God uh, to have him here today with you for his very first appearance at this facility in church on a Sunday morning. He's been to small group a couple times, but I tell you what, he really is a blessing. He keeps me up at night a little bit here and there. And uh, my, my wonderful wife has been so faithful uh, through this whole experience. Uh, we've been to specialists. They said that uh, there was an issue uh, with the placenta and that it might not grow. And then uh, when she actually delivered, they diagnosed her with preeclampsia and recently with something called mastitis. She had a 102-degree fever Thursday, Friday, and Saturday of last week. But thank God, he's a healer. He's a healer. And... Uh, I tell you what, she's, this is my better half. Um, she makes me look good in more ways than one. And, <laughs> and also, uh, I tell you, this is just a gift from God. This past week, they thought he had something called pylorus stenosis. We went up to Akron General Hospital, had an ultrasound, and uh, guess what? It was negative. The, the results came back negative. And that's positive for me. <laughs> it's the first time I was positive about something being negative. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's so amazing. When, if we get tuned in, we can get irritated and aggravated and even agitated at what the enemy does. Every time those things came in, there was a diagnosis or something happened. Or she spiked the fever. It seemed like I was at TCT doing television and ministering to people on Thursday. But I said, the enemy's just not going to distract us. God's going to do something powerful. And even when we were there, I was walking out of the hospital, and God said, go back to that waiting room. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what am I doing here? And there was a gentleman that had been there. He said, that's a pastor, and that's his son. I was nervous that it really wasn't. Anybody had to step out on faith? Uh, you get a word from God, and you're, you're never fully certain if it's truly God or not. Um, but I walked up, I approached the gentleman, and I said, uh, the Lord showed me some things about you, that you're a pastor and that's your son. Things haven't been going in the right direction, but God said there's a turnaround coming. And uh, I said, is any of that right? <laughs> and he said, absolutely, I am a pastor. I'm a pastor in Berea, Ohio. But I just thank God for, you know, sometimes it's, God allows us to go through trials so that we can minister to somebody else who's in a trial. Uh, God allows us to walk through valleys so that we can do ministry to people that have been through valleys or maybe we've been through it so when they do, we can help them get through it. But, but God has blessed us to do life together and um, I'm so extremely blessed to have you and do life with you, JC. And this little guy, is a, he's a quiver in our bow. So uh, we're, or he's an arrow in the quiver anyways and getting ready to be launched. And, and uh, today's message has really been inspired um, because of this little one. How many know it's important to preserve a legacy for the next generation? To preserve culture of purity and faith and also uh, to, I guess, identify the threats of, of sin and the damaging results of, of death which comes with sin. 
So today I'm really going to be preaching about a, a title called Secular Theology. And uh, I, want to, I want to dive right into that, but uh, I just wanted to introduce this little guy on his first Sunday. Sweetheart, I love it. You want to say anything? <laughs> she said, not today. <laughs> not today. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to say that since ancient times, it's been Hebrew culture, and according to the priests, the Jewish tradition, it's the job of the pulpit to interpret current events from a biblical perspective, and today the priesthood more closely resembles the pastorate than anything else, amen? I'm excited because our young people are in here today, our junior hires are in here, I think you're going to have fun, um, I'm glad you're here. Um, but I want to talk to you about spin. How many know that interpretation is very important and it's significant? All of us were born to a certain family and a certain culture. And the culture that you were born into and the family that you were born into and even the region that you were born into help shape and shift the way that you see things in life. And it happens on a subconscious level. And that's called zeitgeist or it's called your worldview. And there's two opposing worldviews in the United States today, predominantly, and it's a Christian worldview and a secular worldview. And a secular worldview was that of itself, what's called worldly wisdom in the scripture. I believe we might be able to identify it, let it be, if you came from the perspective of somebody who was raised believing that there was no God, that uh, the only pursuit of life should be your own pleasure because that's the only purpose you have to enjoy is enjoyment itself, then you can understand where somebody is coming from, but it's not up to us to, um, to take on the perspective of the world, and it's really important that we recognize when secular culture is trying to influence theolo theological perspective. And, and it, they're not just satisfied having their own perspective. They want us to have their perspective. And that's what's happening. And I want to actually play a couple of video clips here in just a minute. But I want to I give you an example. Uh, several years ago, George Bush was in a place that JC and I actually got engaged, which was Livingston, Zambia. And he stayed at a hotel. And the locals really appreciated him because he actually danced and enjoyed their culture. So from a local perspective, the Livingston Times said, we, we appreciate President Bush for joining us in our cultural rituals and President Bush dance. Where here as in the States, uh, Bush was a baffling buffoon who, who made a fool of himself in front of other people and uh, mocked their culture. How many know there's two different perspectives? Now, if you were in a high school and let's say the captain of the cheerleader and the, and the uh, captain of the football team broke up. And there was a young man who was the captain of the chess team. He decided he wanted to ask that captain of the cheerleaders to prom. There's two ways you could look at it. Well, if you were a friend of the captain of the football team, you would say this young man is way out of his league. He doesn't know his position on the social ladder. But if you were a friend of the captain of the chess team, you would say, boy, he's showing Motsi. He's really brave to ask this young lady to the dance when other people would say he, he's a little too geeky or a little too nerdy to do that, right? And your position or your perspective, I'm giving you a silly perspective here, is probably relative to your relationship with one of those two people, right? So in our walk our perspective is relative to our relationship with Jesus. 
our closeness to Jesus, the way we interpret events has to be interpreted through the lens of the scripture. And it, it's called spin. It's a form in, in society or in politics, they would call it a form of propaganda. It's achieved through knowingly promoting a biased interpretation of an event or campaigning to persuade public opinion in favor or against the organization. But I would say it's not just propaganda. It's, it happens on a subconscious level, the way we interpret events. And so we've got to get the word inside of us so ingrained within us that we understand how to interpret events. And I believe this message could be offensive to certain people today, but I want to encourage you to listen to my heart. I believe that God wants to reveal his truth and lovingly correct us in ways that we need to be corrected and, and otherwise uh, understand his message to us. I want you to say this after me though, 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17, I want you to say all scripture is God breathed or breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. For reproof, for correction. See, we don't like correction as much, but it's still there. And for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I'm going to read some scriptures in just a moment, but I want you to turn your eyes to the screen. There was, there was a certain clip that happened. It was very well watched within, I would call it, secular culture. And I don't, I'm not saying that the program itself is bad. I just want to talk about what was said because 7.2 million people watch this, and that's a bigger platform than any pastor in America has. And this individual who was on a show called The Bachelorette, happened to refer to Jesus. And more than it was televised, it was also commercialized. And, and so many people saw this, and I actually want to refer to it. You may think it's silly, but I want to break it down uh, from the pulpit this morning and talk to you a little bit about how I can interpret it. And then I want to encourage you to interpret it through the lens of God's Word. We'll watch this. I don't even care what you just said to me about you feeling like you have clarity on this. I still feel like you don't. There's something in me that is refusing me to get into that vehicle right now. Because my... If you really... I can probably get you to go in that limo it, from what you said. I'm like... I'm so mad. So, like, I have had sex. Say what? Yeah. And I, Jesus still loves me. From, from obviously how you feel me in a windmill, probably, you probably want to leave. I didn't just go to the fantasy suite. I in a windmill. And guess what? We did it a second time. And my husband, would never say what you said to me. Can I pray over you before I leave? No. I know this may seem silly. It may seem extreme to play a clip like that on a Sunday morning. But I want to say that this perspective is really growing in steam around the United States. 
and it's growing in the theological perspective. And she said, I did mess up, or I did have sex, and Jesus still loves me. Well, let me tell you first and foremost that it says nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Neither height nor depth, neither angels nor demonic presence, nor even hell can separate us from the love of God. I believe that God is love aches for us even after we have succumbed to the judgment of God. But the greater question I want to ask is, do you love Jesus? Because Jesus loves you. But do you sincerely in your heart and with your lips love Jesus in the way that he loves you? And it says this, and I'm going to read Romans 7. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. To bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law having died to that which has held us captive so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to, I'm going to revisit this. I want to talk to you a minute just about this. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law. Now, why were they aroused by the law? Because now we understood what we can't do, right? The law gives us a clear-cut way of what we shouldn't do. But it's not that God just gave us a list of do's and do-nots, a list of things to do and not to do. God gave us this list because he knew that if we were to do, follow our heart's desires or the desires of our flesh, then we would produce pain, and pain produces death in our lives. It makes our heart die just a little bit every time we give ourselves away to somebody who doesn't fully value us. Every time we give ourselves to somebody who doesn't know our value, we begin to see less of ourselves. We value our self-worth a lot less. And, and what happens is we know the law and we think that, that God is just sitting on the throne and telling us what we can and cannot do. And that, that's not why God's sitting there to tell us that. He's sitting there and he provides us with a list of boundaries and guidelines for our protection for your protection. And it says, but now we are released from the law. Some people might take this scripture and say, I'm free from the law. I don't have any do's or do nots. I can go on and use grace as a license to sin because he said, I'm released. Romans 7 right here says, I'm released from the law. This word release is the word katargeo, and it means to to terminate all intercourse with. We're talking about intimacy in a sense. We're we're referencing this. And this means now I'm no longer intimate with the law. I'm intimate with grace. But that grace is not a license to do whatever I wish. That grace is a license to be intimate with the Father so that I can bear fruit that produce life. Not fruit that produces death. Because if I'm intimate with the law then the law produces death because no man can live up to the letter of the law. We, if, if somebody asked a, a, a presidential candidate one time, Pat Robertson, if, he would, if, if Jews could go to heaven, and he said if they keep every jot and every tittle of the law, but nobody can. But that was a brilliant answer because it's true. If we could keep every jot and every tittle of the law, then we would continually uh, be enabled to go to heaven. But if we could do that, Jesus didn't have to come. 
Jesus came because we couldn't fulfill the law, because when we become intimate with the law, we lose sight of the life that God wanted to preserve through it. And that's why Jesus said it's life over law. I, when I become intimate with grace, I come into eternal life. It is not a license for me to sin. It is a license for me to get back up after I've sinned and to change from my wicked ways to be like him. Jesus was a confronter. Jesus confronted the religious hypocrites because they were people that said, if you have relationship with sinners, you're condoning their sin. You're condoning their lifestyle. I'll tell you what, I had a friend of mine, he contacted me, he called me, he said, I know we'd leave, we lead different lifestyles, and uh, I haven't been a part of your life for a long time. We were best friends in high school. He's now living a homosexual lifestyle. He said, but would you like to meet my fiance, who is a guy? And I said, I would, I would, uh, I would like to see you. And we went and we had a, a, a meal together at table six. And there were some people that gave us looks. And I kind of felt a little bit like Jesus, wondering if there was people that were condemning me because of my position, seated with somebody who needs somebody to continue to reach out to him. Right? He needs somebody to love him. But see, I'm not, I'm not condoning him. I don't think I could actually go to the, to the marriage. But I needed to get to know this person. I needed to listen. I needed to ask him questions because I wanted him to know that I care about him. And worldly wisdom says that you can't care about somebody unless you condone what they do. And that's pharisaical wisdom. But Jesus was in relationship to reach out to those that needed a hand. And he said that he left the 99 for the one. So it's not that we are katargeo, released so that we can enter into the freedom to sin. It's so that we are terminating intercourse with the law, having died to that which held us captive. There's still a death, a godly death that transpires in us where we no longer give ourselves the right to be given to vain and fleshly desires and pursuits. But that we serve, and this word means to deluo, to be a slave, to yield obedience in the new way of the spirit. So to yield, to be a slave, I, I don't want to, I was a slave to sin. And now we come out of the negative slave slavery that, that incarcerated us into a new form of freedom, which has its own sense of boundaries, but in it is a greater sense of liberty than we ever knew before. There is, there is a sense of boundaries that makes us feel safe. It makes us feel loved. It actually preserves us. If we were to be given to every passion, to every idea, to every desire, if we were given to every uh, whim, we would end up in death. But God himself gave us new life so that we could become a slave. He said that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. So that we can be yielded to obedience, the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code, but there's a new way. There's a new way. And, and I want to read that for in, a, in a minute, but I want to, to watch this next code. So we, we, I want to say this. Is she right? Jesus still loves her. Yes. But there was something about the way that she responded from a national platform to 7.2 million people that were watching, which, by the way, was the greatest... Uh, 
juggernaut of viewing that night. No other uh, source, no other television spot came close to that many views. Um, that she's, she almost boasted in her sin. God's not called us to use grace to boast in our sin. We boast in Jesus and in the grace of God that has liberated us into his truth and his life. I don't believe it's enough for God to take us out of hell. He must take the hell out of us. J.D. Greer said, I'm going to say that one more time. It's not enough for God to take us out of hell. He must take the hell out of us. Or we're really not making his kingdom come to earth. There is multiple times in the New Testament, and I'll, I'll reference this quickly. I'm, I'm not going in order like I said I would, but Mark 7, verse 21 through 22. I want to I be clear. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, and adultery. Let's go to Romans 1, chapter, uh, verse 24. Through 31, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. That word, dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, is a word that is called arsenicoitis, and it's one who lies with a man or a female as with a, a woman. It, it actually is, doesn't just refer to, it, the scripture calls it sodomites or homosexuality. Now that's not a word that we like to say today, is it? That's not a word that we like to hear. We don't like to talk about certain things. We've, in a sense, watered down the vocabulary of God's word to embrace a more politically comfortable vocabulary. I know I'm either going to make you inspired up or fired up, but I want to encourage you today. Words we, we've, we've exchanged like detest. God detests sin for he disapproves. We've exchanged words like vile. For wrongful. We've exchanged words like fornication. Who has said fornication lately? That's not a word we use. But we've exchanged it for experimentation. Oh, they're experimenting with their sexualities. They're experimenting with, with, it's the college experiment. And we have a gap theory that whatever happens at college stays at college. It's a bit like Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But I assure you that the doctors would affirm that there's certain people that left Vegas with more than they came with. It doesn't always work that way. We've exchanged adultery for cohabitating. They're just cohabitating. Because language informs culture, and if we can change the language, we can change the way that we understand the gravitas of certain situations, the sobriety of certain scenarios. We've exchanged sodomite for gay. I know this is an uncomfortable message, but I believe that as a shepherd and a pastor, my job is to identify the wolves of culture that are coming to steal away the joy of our faith and the true liberty that comes when we experience a life of holiness. The trueness of the gift, the gift and the grace of God, the benefit package of Almighty God when we live underneath the hand of God. We've exchanged words like, this is one I read last night, whoremongerer for a hoe. A simple garden tool, that's all it is. It's all it is. We, when we read it in the Greek, the evil concupiscence 
If you go back and study the Greek, the word is actually kaka. There's a lot of kaka that we've really made look beautiful. We've packaged it elaborately. We've put wonderful commercials to it. And I want to encourage you, church, to recognize that the enemy is the greatest marketer in the earth. He's been around for a long time. The illicit and elaborate party life looks so fun in every Budweiser commercial. But let me tell you something. If you get to a place of drunkenness, they never want to show you the person who's bowing to the porcelain throne. They don't want to show you the person who's in liver failure. They don't want to show you the man who has uh, been given to the experiment of one time. He just wanted to experiment heroin one time and suddenly fell prey to that trap and then lost his scholarship, lost his athleticism, lost his family, lost the pursuit of vision, lost his dream, lost his wife and his children. I'm telling you that church, God hates these things because they hurt us. God hates sin, and he's asking his church to hate sin and call it what it is, not the the wonderful packaging that the world preserves for us, which is nothing more than deception and lies. They're changing the vocabulary, and we really need to call it what it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 10. I'm going somewhere, and I'm being mindful of the time. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. 1 Corinthians 6 9. We'll go um, 10 as well. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I want to inherit the kingdom of God. And I don't just want to inherit it when I get to heaven. I want to inherit it in the earth. I know that when I get to heaven, I'm going to be dancing on streets of glory, that I will no longer be in a place of tears and and hopelessness and depression and discouragement, but I'll take on the joy of the Father. I know that the benefit package of heaven says that I'll live renewed like the sun, and I'll be able to scream and shout, no disease can tarnish my condition. And if I can receive the benefit package of heaven while I'm here, he said, I've come to bring heaven to earth. I can't bring heaven to earth until I begin to live by the regulations of heaven because heaven has its own code. It may not resemble the code of our legislation, but its legislation, if we begin to act like, live like a citizen of heaven, we begin to come into the benefit package of heaven and Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid don't have anything on what the kingdom of heaven has to offer you. Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We could keep reading, but I want to go to 1 Timothy 1, verse 9 through 10. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers. Other is sexual immorality, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and what else is contrary to sound doctrine. Revelations 21 and 8, this says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And church, God did not 
send his son to die a horrible, torturous death so that we could live the second death in hell, which is a separation from God. He gave his son so that we could live a new life, renewed like the son. And he said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So I don't ask you, church, does If you've done wrong, does Jesus love you? He loves you. Now my encouragement, my bold request is that you would love Jesus in the same way he loved you. And if you love me, Jesus says, you will obey my commandments. Church, I'm a fallen man. I'm not standing here from a pulpit saying that I'm perfect or perfected. I'm just saying that I'm not given to a habitual lifestyle of sin so that it can cause me to live in turmoil. And I believe that you can get to the same place of deliverance. And I'll add this. Deliverance comes in a moment, but it takes a lifetime to walk out. Deliverance comes in a moment. It takes a lifetime to walk out. I want to quickly show you uh, just the pictures from Taylor Swift's latest music video, if I can, those two pictures. Um, and I'm, we're closing very shortly. This, the latest Hollywood productions are causing, showing what you look like. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. But that's what you look like to the world. And that's the picture they're painting of you. If you could show the next uh, slide. It says homosexuality is sin, and uh, we're picketing. And I think there's some people that have picketed, but it's actually spelled incorrectly. It's homosexuality spelled with a K and an S instead of an X. And, and there's this, the reason that they're depicting you like that, because they want to call you ignorant. And, and when Goliath called out David, David realized he wasn't calling him out. He was calling out his God. We don't have a right to, to change what the Word says. We just live the word, and we believe what he says is true. And, and I want to read really quickly the lyrics that are in the latest song that she produced and why uh, it is my, my personal conviction that I can no longer support her. I'm not telling you what to do with your life. Your convictions are, are up to you, but I know that the Bible is clear on what sin is, and, and you need to know how you're being portrayed by culture. You are somebody that we don't know. You're coming at my friends like a missile. Why are you mad when you could be glad? And that glad is actually an acronym for gay and lesbians. Um, could you put that, pull that up for me? Glad to promote understanding, increase acceptance, advance equality as gay and lesbian alliance against def- defamation. They've been pushing all of that in Hollywood. We'll, we'll go back to the lyrics really quickly. Sunshine on the street at the parade, but you would rather be in the dark age. See, a lot of people believe that because you were given to a Bible that is 2,000 years old almost, that, that it's an outdated book. But let me tell you something. Truth doesn't have an expiration. Truth doesn't have an expiration. We know the way and the truth and the life, and he lives in us. And he hasn't called us to bash people. He's called us to love people into his kingdom. But we're also not so called to move so far the pendulum to the right that we also agree with sin and promote it. We've got to love people while we don't promote sin. And you just need to take several seats and try to restore the peace and control your urges and scream about all the people you hate because shade never made anybody less gay. You need to calm down. You're being too loud. 
And that's what the music video shows. I, I'm, I'm closing right now, church. But I want you to see that when God, uh, when, the, when Hollywood begins to call out the church, then God raises up a standard in the church so that we know the truth. And I believe it's important to know. I was going to show you a clip from PBS where Arthur, the cartoon Arthur, which is targeting your grandchildren and your children, your babies, just had the teacher, Mr. Ratskin or something of that nature, who came down the aisle with a the man. They're pushing homosexuality in your cartoon tunes now. And parents, you need to know and be alert as to what your children are watching, what the schools are promoting. And this is public broadcasting. So we're paying for it. Our taxes are paying for them to promote sin and indoctrinate our children. But let me tell you something. God raised up young men like Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego, and Shadrach. And he did it in a culture of Babylon, but still recognized those that were contrite of heart and fell into their convictions and lived with holiness. And they were promoted even in a secular culture. And that's what God will do with our kids. But we need to know what our kids are watching, what they're listening to, and instill in them values. If you're going to let them watch it, you better be prepared to have a conversation about it in the reflection and the interpretation of God's word.